Well, good morning. Okay, so you're shocked. It's okay. You can take a deep breath now. So let's try that again. Good morning. We are ready for uh, summer. Who's ready for their summer? Ready to take off to the beach, all that cool stuff. Uh, by the way, again, we're be having a conversation about the talk, that conversation. So if your children have not been introduced to this conversation, this PG-13 level, you don't want them introduced today for that conversation. We've invited you guys to move your children on up. This is actually that promotion Sunday where they all move into their next level. So if you're, if your kid's at that age where they're like, I know what you're talking about, what is this? And you're not ready to have the talk, uh, we'd love to uh, give you an opportunity to kind of usher them onto their, their children's ministry classes. And uh, But we are going to dive in. And before we do that though, I, I get an opportunity just to talk about summer. Summer's here. It's happening. School is out for, for the school district here in Corona. A lot of you guys are, are ready to go to the beach, ready to get engaged with the summer. In that case, I want to encourage you to... Um to consider that we were talking about reaching our neighbors, meeting up and connecting with the eight closest neighbors around us, building those relationships. If that's grown to that place and you're like, hey, I would love to invite them to something, but I don't know what's going on. These invite cards are the way to do that. You'll find them around the campus, in, ba- in the bathroom, in the Connection Central locations. You can pull it up. And um, they, I keep saying bathroom. I keep thinking, man, that, that's gross. But um, they're there. They're not anywhere near. Yeah. So you can take them. They're safe. And um, on the back, actually, as you hand them to your, uh, to your neighbor is... Uh, kind of the, all the different upcoming events for the next two months. Gives you an opportunity to kind of highlight one, invite them to that. We just want to encourage you guys with that tool. They're available. Just grab them when you see them. Use them as God leads you and as you're building those relationships. So I want to just kind of highlight that real quick before we dive in. Because yes, indeed, we are going to be talking about the talk. And that may cause fear and trepidation in your heart. So we're going to go ahead and pray before we do that. So let's, let's do that real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to engage in various topics that um, I believe the world is constantly talking about, but sometimes we as Christians, as teachers, as parents, as leaders, and as the church are not. And we ask that you would help us to, to address this rightly, to address this sensitively and correctly according to your word and according to your way. And we pray that you would just um, open our hearts and challenge us today in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Indeed, I am, I'm going to be talking about that idea of the talk. And in fact, what I, what I love to realize is so many men in this room, you guys are ready to storm a fire. You're ready to attack a dog if it's going to attack your kids. You're ready to, you know, take on an army. You would die for your loved ones. But when it comes time for you to talk to your children about sex, let's face it, we're scared. Amen? Are we anybody with me? Just like, uh, that's kind of nerve wracking. I don't really like this idea. Some of you guys are going, thank goodness my kids are old enough. Oh, you're not off the hook either. Um, we're going to, we're going to dive into the conversation because you never know when this conversation is going to start. You never know when it's going to begin and when you really need to dive in. For example, you could be somewhere like in the middle of, uh, say, Knott's Berry Farm. Dead serious. This is where it began for my, my son, Andrew. Andrew is seven. And at the time we were at, uh, we went to the Independence Hall area. Anybody been to the Independence Hall area of Knott's Berry Farm? Very few people even know it exists anymore, unless you're going to Soak City uh, or you're homeschooled because they just had the whole thing locked up. We couldn't even go in anywhere. We were bugged then. So we came outside. We we're going to have some lunch. And so we sat down by Independence Hall area, eating some lunch, kind of as pretty of an area as we could find and look over and they've got ducks just all over the place. And these two ducks are doing this little thing. They're like, do you? dancing like this. I'm like, hey guys, look, the ducks are dancing. Of course, my older two look at the ducks dancing going like, why are the ducks dancing? And I've watched enough planet Earth to know what's going on. And my little guys, they look over and they're like, Ooh, whoa, look at the ducks are dancing. And suddenly the little duck stops dancing and turns around. The big duck starts doing a different kind of dance on top of the other duck. And my older two are like, uh, that's uncomfortable. And the little guys are like, huh? And my youngest, Andrew goes, dad, what are they doing? 
And I'm like, uh, they're making baby ducks. And he goes, oh, and he leans in closer. <laughs> because he's like, he's, he's like thinking this is like Minecraft. When you make the two animals meet each other, a little baby duck shows up. And he's like, where's the baby duck, dad? And I'm like, it's not, it's not how it works. It comes out as an egg, and never mind. We're just not going to worry about it. Let's move on into Knott's Berry Farm. And so it was one of those moments where you're going like, whoa, okay. It's time to have some conversations. The birds and the bees are out and about. And I want to tell you guys that we are the ones that need to be in this. Really, as a church, the world is having a conversation about sex. And so often we're busy talking about a bunch of other things that we need to address it once in a while. So what we're doing here at Olive Branch is we're going to address it to you guys. We're going to bring it up because it's important, especially as some of you guys are, are coming to the age where you're going to have children. Some of you have children. Some of you have grandchildren. Some of you know people who have children. And, and in other words, we all are engaged in a process of dealing with children and students in our lives. So I want to challenge you guys with this conversation about sex intentionally. And so as we begin, I want to start off with just what the Bible teaches and where it starts us. And that is that it is to parents that sex is given for parents to teach to their children. Constantly and in context. That it's, again, sex is for parents to teach their children constantly in context. I believe this is the ideal scenario that God has set up for us. It's not given to the pastor. It's not given to the, to the teacher. It's not given to these other people to give. It's not given. It's given to the parents to teach their children constantly in context. Now, I find this found in, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you want to go there with me, let's open our Bibles up to that section. It's found on page 151 of the Bibles provided in, this, on, in, the, in the seats. You can open it up on the church app and you can be right there with us. It, it, I just want you guys here to see these verses and to, to connect with what the Bible is teaching. In fact, this verse is known as the Hebrew Shema. It, it means, it's the first word in, in, the, in the passage, and it means hear, listen, and obey. And, and it's called Shema because this was the main prayer the Jewish and the Hebrew people would pray every morning and evening. They would teach their children. It was constantly on their mind, constantly being spoken. In fact, when we bring it up, um, bring parents up here to dedicate their children, we actually read this passage to them as the way of introducing them to a conversation of how to lay out parenting, how to lay out the challenge in their life. And so specifically what we see here is that I get this idea that it's the parents to teach about sex and, and con constantly and in context from this passage. Notice how it begins. It says here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So everything that's in you, give that to God. Love him with all that is in you. Give him all of your devotion. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And so clearly, this passage is saying that, guys, this is given to the parents to teach. This is given to you and to me to teach to our children. No, notice again what it says there in verse 7. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. To who? Whose children? Your children. This is in the ideal setting that you and I, if we have children, we are to teach our children about this conversation called sex. In fact, the way that my wife and I like to say it is something that we've heard in other places, is that you should be the first in. You need to be the first one to have this conversation with your kids. Let's face it, I, my parents were not the first one to have this conversation with me. I, the first person to have this conversation with me, I don't even remember the kid's name. It might have been my friend Mitchell. I don't know who it was, but somebody came up to me and told me this word, what this word, the F word meant. 
And it included the concept of sex, and suddenly I knew this new concept. And I'm like, I never heard of this before. And guess what? The people you'd go to to find out that information was either the media or your buddies. And that's pretty much where I learned about it. Anybody else find out in the similar kind of way you found out on a, on a, on a street in school or somewhere like that? Um, some of you did. Maybe you got it from your parents first. But the bottom line for me was I got it from my friends. And many of you got it from your friends. And many of you heard about it from your friends, your peer groups, and others around you. Now, what's interesting is today, they may hear it, and one day they will hear it. Somebody's going to be the first one in, and they're going to reference this word sex, and they're going to tell this word um, that's out there, and they're going to go, oh my gosh, what is this? And if they have any access in the library, at school, or at any case, at any point, they're going to do what they do with anything they have a question about. They're going to Google it. I don't know about you. I don't want my kids Googling that word. Anybody else with me? Like, there's unseen, unholy, nasty things that pop up when you Google that word, and you don't want your children doing that. And yet, all of the percentages right now are showing that children are being trained on sex through pornography more than anything else in our culture. And I believe the problem is because we're not the first ones in. Parents aren't the first ones to bring up the subject, and so you're not the expert. You're not the ones that are going to go, um, Mom, Dad, what does this mean? What is this about? What's going on here? They're uncomfortable and you're uncomfortable. And really what we need to do and what I want to advocate at Olive Branch is that we become the kind of parents that we're not necessarily talking about safe sex, but you are the safe place to talk about sex. That it is so comfortable for you that I mentioned the idea of the talks that you're not like, eh, I don't think I can do this. This is uncomfortable. Well, part of your discomfort is because you needed to start earlier and you needed to start sooner and you need to just kind of take up the fact that you actually are the expert. Guess what? You know way more about this subject than any teenager, junior high, or elementary schooler who's going to tell your kids about it. Point in case was this video. When we show the video and we have this banter going on, it's all the married people that laugh. And there was like a junior hire last night. I was looking at it like, going, I don't get it because they don't get it. They don't have the same context that we have when it comes to the subject and the conversation that parents have, that it's you shall teach your children. You shall talk to them. You will talk to them when they're sitting in their house. All of these things, it's our job. And timeout is like, whoa, Greg, hold on. One, one quick timeout for you, Roll. Um, not everybody's got parents who can talk to their kids. I have a friend who came up to me and he's like, look, I didn't have a dad to come talk to me. Who, who, who is it supposed to be for me? Some of you guys, you're looking at this, you're saying, I'm single, I don't have kids, you know, I'm not, we're married, but we don't have children, and we're grandparents, and our children are at home. This doesn't count, Greg, you're wasting my Sunday morning. No, what I believe you should become is a resource, because we all know somebody who does have children. You have grandchildren. In some cases, single moms out there, you're asking, how in the world am I going to tell my son about this stuff that I don't understand? Because junior high boys, you know, a lot of them in high school boys, they wake up in the morning, they're groggy and sleepy and hungry, and they go eat. And the next thing they think about is sex, and they think about food, and then they think about sex, and they get tired, and they go to bed. And that's the whole day. And they wake up the next morning, and it's the same thing over and over and over. That's puberty. And single moms are out there going like, I don't know what to do with that. And single dads are standing there with their daughter and they're going, she's going through a period. I have no idea. That's scary. I don't even want to buy this stuff in the store. It's like uncomfortable. You can be junior highs for a little bit and giggle. It's okay. Because yeah. it's true. We are uncomfortable about this subject and we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. 
It is the world that's made us uncomfortable so that we won't have these conversations. And what these single moms and dads need is some mentors, some men and women who are confident and caring about our kids. For my friend, it was the senior pastor of his church that actually stepped in on permission of his parents, obviously, to talk to their son. And he was the one who guided them through the conversation. And sometimes it's a youth director. Sometimes it's a youth pastor. Sometimes it's just another student leader who steps into care and to lead and to talk them through this when there's nobody that's available. Now, this is always somebody who has been vetted by the parents and are sure that this is going to be okay, vetted by the mom or the dad. Or in this case, you have opportunity to be a resource. In fact, we, we really want to encourage you to be a resource. That's why outside, as you walk out, there's a whole two display cases filled with resources. Resources that'll tell you how to talk to your kids when they're little, all the way up to when they're teenagers, all the way when they're young adults. That this is a constant, regular conversation that you should be having. In fact, that's the point. It's not a talk. Notice we titled this sermon, The Talks, plural. Because that's not one talk you should have. You need to have a regular, ongoing conversation. This is not one conversation, but a constant conversation because sex is for parents to teach their children constantly in context constantly it's a regular all the time in and out all day conversation why why do you say that notice what it says you shall teach them what's the word diligently that word diligently means planned means thoughtfully. It means that you've intended to do so you have a direction with it guys we should be planned about this we need to have a, a setup already. How do you talk to your children when they're three to six? Did you know you need to, there's a certain conversation you need to have with them at that age. How do you talk to them when they're in that zone of that seven, eight, nine zone? How do you talk to them when they hit that puberty phase, 10, 11, 12, 13, let alone beyond? When do we introduce subjects? How do we get into, when do I introduce my past? All that stuff can be super confusing, so you need to have a plan. Best way I can give you advice is that you go out and check out some of our resources. This one sheet is available. If you leave with anything today, leave with this sheet. It has laid out all the different kinds of books that are available from a Christian perspective to talk through all the various subjects at different age groups. This right here gives you the opportunity to go home and get onto Amazon and get the books you need. In fact, our, we have an Amazon Smile account. You can connect in with that, and through that, you can give back to the church even while you're buying the resources that give to you. And we would just encourage you guys to do that. But don't, don't, don't ignore this book in particular. It's called Teaching Your Children Healthy, Healthy Sexuality. Jim Burns will walk you through the entire process of, well, what about this issue? And what about that? And we've, I've been having conversations with parents after the services just about various issues. And so I want you guys to understand he covers a great amount of, of, of ground in a very short amount of time. His second book called The Purity Code is excellent to work through together with your teenager, with your preteen, so they get it. But this is the kind of resourcing we want you guys to leave here because we think we need to be the first ones in. We need to be the ones teaching it diligently. We need to be talking about it when we sit in our house, when we walk, by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. This is constant conversation. And I get it. Some of you guys are going, time out, Greg. You are totally teaching this out of context. That has nothing to do with sex. Deuteronomy 6 has everything to do with teaching the law to our children. It says, Moses said it right there. Look, what I have told you today, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. I totally agree with you. In fact, if you'll flip like five, six pages over in the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to get one of the nastiest lists about sexual perversion you'll ever read anywhere. And it's laid out point by point by point that you shouldn't do these things. In fact, 
I think what we're being ignorant of is the fact that when, when Moses is instructing the Israelites to do this, he's saying, guys, I'm talking about the whole law from Genesis all the way through to Deuteronomy. I want you guys to teach this to your children. I want you guys to put this in their lives. And I guarantee you, God is constantly talking about sex in the Bible. You know how I know this? It's just case in point. About a year ago, my, 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 I challenged my son Nathaniel to get into the Bible and start reading the Bible. And he's like, where should I start? I got him a new Bible. He's all excited. He's like, where should I start? I said, wherever you want. He's like, I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm like, cool, that's great. Genesis is a great book. You'll enjoy Genesis. So he gets into Genesis, reads chapter one. He's good. Chapter two, I don't know how he missed it, but he's still good. Like Adam and Eve. Okay, cool. Serpent in the garden. Heard that before. Gets into chapter three, fall, mass. Chapter four, chapter five. All the way through, he gets even through Sodom and Gomorrah and doesn't see anything. He's like, at the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's over. And one day he walks downstairs and he's got this look on his face. And you're like, you okay, bug guy? What's going on? He's like, uh, dad? I'm like, what's, I got a question. I'm like, well, what's happening? He's like, um, what's with Lot and his daughters? That's just weird. If you haven't read the Bible, you don't realize that Lot and Lot's daughters make their dad get drunk and they sleep with him to get pregnant. And this is like, Weird, okay, that, that's just right there. He, he still hadn't got to Abraham and Hagar with the surrogate wife situation. He hadn't gotten to the rape of Dinah. He hadn't gotten into, um, he hadn't gotten into Tamar and, uh, or sorry, Judah and Tamar. He hadn't gotten all the way into this subject with Joseph and Potiphar's house. That's just book one. You see how much we whitewash our, our, our children's curriculum around here for sex? We're like, clean that up, clean that up, don't tell that story. You know, we're doing this all the time because God's constantly talking about sex, let alone when you get into the Exodus and it's kind of like group problems, you know? <laughs> and the entire nation's condemned for it. One of the nations, and it just goes on and on and on. Don't let your kids read large portions of Ezekiel. It's just there's problems throughout the scriptures that God is saying, guys. This is important. When you sit, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you're teaching the word of God. And that includes a clear conversation about sex because guess what? You need a plan because the world's got a plan. Oh, they got plans. They've got children's books on their plans. They put those children's books in our kindergarten rooms. They've got a plan to teach our children about sex. Not God's vision of sex, but their vision of it. And they've got a plan. And the media's got a plan. They've got their idea of it, even though Hollywood can't keep a marriage together. Oh, they know what they're talking about, right? Oh, those pornographers, oh, they objectify women and teach men to abuse women and teach us to do horrible things. They know what they're really doing there. And this is what we're going to leave our kids to learn from? No, we need a plan. That's why Olive Branch every year at this time when we're graduating our kids up before the summer, we're going to challenge our families, our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles to have a plan and to begin to have this conversation in the summer or continue the conversation you're already having. Because we need to be planned. This world is constantly talking about sex and the church needs to be talking about sex, but we need to be talking about it differently. Too often the church is talking about sex and what we talk about is like, don't do it, it's evil and wrong and it's bad. It's okay in marriage, but don't do it. It's evil and wrong. You know, we're like, abstain. I love, I love that we tell kids, don't think about it and don't do it, even though that's all you can think about. And so what we need to do is we need to have a plan. We need to be executing this plan. And so I want to give you just a little bit of a plan. I want to resource you guys like crazy so you can build a plan. And I want to give you just a brief plan because when we teach about sex, God's given sex to parents to teach their children constantly, as you can see, and in context, in God's context of his word, and he begins talking about it all the way back 
in the beginning. We need to teach sex in God's context. And that begins back in Genesis chapter two. We get this beautiful context that happens. And check this out. This is the way at the beginning, God's just formed man. He hasn't made a woman yet. And he's placed the man in the garden. And he says, this is your whole place. It's paradise. It's beautiful. You got everything you could possibly need or want to work on. Here you go. Go for it. And Adam starts working. And then God looks at this and it says, God, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Any men saying amen on that one? You men haven't been alone long enough. You know what I mean. But it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And what's interesting about this terminology, it fits the idea that if you've ever gone to a foreign country and tried to plug your device into the wall, you walked up and you went, why are those things side? That's weird. That doesn't fit. That's, that's not an outlet fit for my device. You have to have a, you know, the whole exchange thing, power adapters and all that stuff. And here, what he's saying is there is nothing that fits. There was nothing that completed the man. There was nothing that fit the man. There was no connection. It's a very sexual term. But it has so much, so much strength in the terminology. He's saying, now, this doesn't work. So he, he gives the man, he says, now, the ground of the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what they would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And so <laughs> notice it says, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. So he, there, here comes this big thing with horns and, and this big long muzzle and he walks by he's like wow that looks like that one has horns and a big long muzzle and they walk by and then he goes oh that's different bull this one walks by and it's got something else and it's like well that's different cow carve a little duck coming by quack 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 oh look mallard quack 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 a little brown one comes by looks a little different hen by the way that's what they're called Found out last night. And so there, all of these animals go by, male, female, male, female. Huh, 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 huh. Where's mine? I believe God was building in him this desire for the one that fit, the one that connected with him. He's going, where is this for me? Because notice what it says. So, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with its flesh. And one of the, one of the old uh, Puritan, um, Puritan commentators said, it's not that he took it from the head that the woman would be over the man. It's not that he took it from the feet that he would be over, that he would crush the woman. He took it from the side they would be equals and stand next to each other and do the work together. It came from the, near the heart because that's where they would be wed together was by the heart. There was this whole picture that he drew into that. I love that picture. But he says he takes that rib, he formed the man, and he, and he took the, and from the man he made it into a woman. And then he has this strange little phrase here, and brought her to the man. Imagine he's woken up, he's sitting up, he's like, oh, a little sore, what's going on? And, and suddenly God comes in the garden stepping towards him. You could, I see it as the incarnate, pre-incarnate Christ stepping into the scene and he's bringing this woman down in all his plants towards the man. Bringing her as a father brings a daughter and something lights in his eyes. I've seen this. I've done enough weddings. I've stood next to the groom. I am, he's right here. And something in every man's eyes clicks. There's a hunger there's a wonder. Sometimes it's tears. There's a welling up of emotion. And as you're sitting there, I swear I could just take the mic and say you could spout poetry right now. And he would, I guarantee it. 
Because he's going, that's my bride, that's my beloved, that's, I can't believe this is happening. She's for me, this is crazy. And so the man breaks in to poetry. He says, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha. That's the word for a woman. Because she was taken out of Ish. And he says, this is my soulmate. This is the one made for me. This is the one linked to me. This is, this is the one fit for me. And the picture out of everything comes this picture of a wedding. And then it just stops. And it seems, and actually Jesus says, this is God speaking here. He says, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother. He has this intimacy, this community, this connection with his father and his mother, his grandparents, his sisters, his brothers, all of this safety, all of this knowledge, all of this generational things. He's to turn and leave his father and his mother and hold fast, cleave to his wife. That's a sexual term. He's supposed to link in. And when that happens in a Hebrew wedding, it was done at the event. Everybody's celebrating, having fun. They'd go into the tent and everybody stand outside waiting and singing and dancing. And they were, you know, making a marriage. They're having sex for the first time. That's uncomfortable. Talk about stress. They come out and they had to show off a cloth. Hey, you know, all this, okay, ancient world, different stuff. And so, but this is how intimate sex and marriage were. That when you had sex, you had bound together into marriage. That sex and marriage became this holding fast, a new family. You may not have children. Don't have anybody ask you when you're going to start your family. You already did. When you got married, you're a family. And now you have the opportunity as you come together, you become one flesh. Not only become like each other, which is kind of odd, but real. You notice that amongst each other. You pick up behaviors from each other. You pick up ways of thinking from each other. You become one flesh. That's a physical becoming one flesh because you fit together. That's how sex is intended to work. And suddenly you have all of this understanding of what it produces when it's in the ideal scenario and everything's healthy and, and everything's working is you wind up with a child. Now, what's weird about a child is that when you look at the child, invariably people do this. You can hold a baby, you can have a kid. They walk up and you say, wow, that kid looks like you. You ever had that one said about you? And you go, yeah. Or they walk up to my wife and they go, wow, they look like you. Yeah, yeah. Then the weird thing is you're raising that kid and you're like, you're acting like my dad. You're acting like your grandpa. You're acting like me. You're acting like your mom. They are a fusion of both sides of your family into one flesh, literally. You see, the binding in this picture is of three things. When you teach about God's context of sex, when it comes to sex, it comes in a marriage. And when it comes in a marriage, it combines sex with marriage and children. And that's the context for it. Now, is it enjoyable? Is it pleasurable? Yes, because it creates this one binding thing. In fact, what we find out is that as our world has separated these things, driven a wedge in which you can have sex without marriage, you can have children without sex, and you can have a marriage without either. You can do whatever you want in our culture thanks to technology. What has very much occurred is that we've discovered that people who have sex outside of marriage on a routine basis, their first time they have sex, they oftentimes cannot forget or get over that original person emotionally because God intended it to bind you chemically to the other person so intensely that in fact it's in men. They will always remember that first person. 
so that they are finding children and young people who are dating that their first breakup is like a divorce if they've been having sex on the levels of the same stress and on the levels of the same emotional power. Second, they're finding the more often they have sex outside of marriage, the less likely they're to bond to the final person they do get married to and increases the, the incidence, of, incidence of divorce because their bonding mechanism has been so made thin. It was intended for one. And so as we separated that, now we have a problem where we, don't, we, don't have, we can have sex without children. So abortions become so rampant that in India today and in China combined, there are 75 million missing women because they've been selectively aborted because we can. This is the reality of our world that we've created. And we have divorced this thing and we have so many new, brand new, wacky, crazy issues that are being created. Because we've taken what God intended in a beautiful way. In fact, what he would call it after he'd created everything. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, he saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Sex is good. It's very good. As God intended it to be very good and it's powerful and it's healthy and it's good when it's in the boundaries as God has put it in his story. But that's not the only context we have to teach it in because, guys, is this a beautiful, ideal garden that we live in? Just say no. That's an easy answer. No. We have to teach in the context of the fall. We have to teach about the dangers that go on as well because there are very clear contexts of dangers. We have to teach the dangers of sex beyond marriage because eventually with our children, we have to get into this. Now, I believe this is later in their stage as they're beginning to ask more questions. They're beginning to, in that conversation, ask you stuff. Some of you guys may have to go in later and say, hey, by the way, do you know there's these things called STDs? Do you understand that there's this situation that, you know, someone looks at you like, yeah, dad, I already knew that. Or yeah, mom, I already knew that. But you need to be in there anyway. Because there's information they don't have. There's information they've been given that's wrong. And you need to be up on that information. Again, we have the resources. We're giving you that information so you can be an expert, even though you are more of an expert than you ever thought. But we need to teach the dangers. God did this. He immediately dove in. He starts teaching the dangers. He says, sums it up simply, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus would take this level and say, even if you look at a woman, you've committed adultery. So that lust is even the issue. And so it's just this whole thing that we need to talk about the dangers of our eyes, the situations you're going to encounter on the beach or at the lake or, or at the river over the summer. How do you control yourself? Ladies, about modesty and, and dating. And the earlier you date, the more likely you're to end up in a problem of having sex. The later you date, the, le- the more likely you'll save yourself and the stronger your marriage. There's all these kinds of concepts that are out there, all put in these books, all informative for you. But God just sums up and says, don't commit adultery. Don't do this beyond the boundaries of a marriage. And you'll set yourself up for the best case scenario. Not, no, not every best case scenario happens. It's a fallen world. But we set ourselves up for that. And so we go on to this conversation that even in Proverbs, the dad sits down with the son and says, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen to me. He spends five verses trying to drill it into his son to listen carefully to what he's saying. He says, my son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments with you. In fact, he even says, hey, date wisdom like a lady. You know, Bring her into your life. Marry wisdom. Why? To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And he gets into this whole scenario of how lust and adultery worked and, and, and the main problem in their ancient world was prostitution. So he deals with that directly with his sons. And our world is probably not prostitution that's the main problem in our culture. It's pornography. And it's immodesty. 
And we want to deal with those issues and all the stuff that's going on there. And we, we did our explicit series back in November. You can get a bunch of information on that if you want there. But here we're talking about that we need to deal with the problem pieces that have occurred. We need to walk our children through this at their age-appropriate stages so they are prepared and ready to deal with a world that's constantly talking about this, that's constantly thinking about this, constantly putting it out there, constantly trying to train us in their own ways. Now, we have this context then of, of creation, how God intended. We have this context of the mess that we can make it into, but then we need to have one final context, and that is we need to focus on the context of God's kingdom. See, one of the dangers is we lift sex up in our culture. That is the ultimate thing. If you don't have sex, you're like a horrible person. We make a comedy movies called 40-Year-Old Virgin, and we think that's funny. We think sex has to be the top zone. Newsflash, Jesus died at 33, never got married, never had sex, and lived, according to scriptures, the perfect life. I think if we as Christians, we need to back up and think about this for a second, because the danger when we talk to our children about sex is we elevate sex to a position it should not own. Oh, it's all about marriage and sex and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Oh, this is going to be so great as we see our kids get married. Some of us have been praying for our children's spouse all their life. And we're just like, oh, God, make them godly and make them great. And we want them to enjoy this and make it all work out. And don't let them ever get a divorce. And don't let them be gay. And don't let them be this. Just being honest. We're more worried at times about who our children will sleep with than we are whether they're following Jesus. And the danger is that we miss Jesus in his own teaching about sex. So what's fascinating is that Jesus gets into a conversation on the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts talking about all of our anxieties, all the things we're stressed out about in life. And he says, guys, don't worry about what you eat, the most important thing on the mind of a world dying of starvation. Don't worry about what you're going to wear when they only had one garment typically per person in a home. Don't, don't worry about these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him, he says. I think today he would look at our culture and says, don't worry about who you're going to sleep with. Don't worry about who you're going to date. Don't worry about who you're going to marry. God knows what you need before you've even asked him. What you need. Notice he said need, not want. He knows what you need. And he gets to the end of all this conversation about God's going to, look, look at, the, look at the birds and look at the grass. And doesn't God love you way more than he loves grass? He says, don't you think he's going to provide for you way more than he provides for all this stuff? And he lands on this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first in your mind. Seek first in your life the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so my simple question is this. In our culture, in our world, which do we as average Christians probably think more about in a week? The kingdom of God or sex? And I guarantee you the younger you are, the more you think about sex than the kingdom of God. And the danger when we begin to talk about this is make it an assumed thing that you're going to get married. Make it an assumed thing that you're going to have sex. Make it an assumed thing that you're going to have kids. Because here's the thing. There are going to be a lot of single men in this world and a lot of people who don't get married and don't have sex. And it's not about if you get to have sex and we shouldn't be, I, I think absence is fine, but we need to clarify. You know what it sounds like when we say the church, we need to be absent, be abstinent. We're saying 
Stop thinking about the thing you're always thinking about. You try that sometime. I'm not thinking about it. Well, you are because you're trying not to think about it. I'm not against absence. What I'm saying is I think we need to elevate it back to the concept of the virtue of chastity. See, I think this best lands when we were talking as a group of pastors upstairs dealing with the sermon, looking at it, and Jared just said this. He said, guys, I really think the issue is what if we were to, what if we were to take seriously what the Bible says? And when we started praying for our children, it wasn't praying for who their spouse was going to be and all this stuff. What if we started praying intently that our children would be so in love with Jesus Christ, so passionate about God, that they would follow him with everything that's within them, even if they never got married? And suddenly he exposed us for our conversation that we had elevated sex, that went sex and family and then the kingdom of God. No, the kingdom of God comes first, then comes family, then comes sex. It has to be put back in its right position. And this landed home for me when I was sitting in the car with one of my kids. And as I was talking, talking to them, I was asking about all the different who likes who stuff that goes on in the age groups that they're at and I just said, so do you like anybody? No. What if I don't want to get married? You know, Teenie's not married. Teenie's overseas. Not that she doesn't want to be married. But she knows with her life right now that she wants to be centered and focused upon Jesus Christ and bring his name to those who don't know him. You know, I had to confront myself in that very moment because when I was asked that question... And it was my daughter asking that question. I had to consider, am I willing to sacrifice not walking her down the aisle? Am I willing to sacrifice not doing the wedding? Not giving my father's, not giving the toast? Because she's willing to follow Jesus wherever he takes her. It exposed my idolatry. And I had been placing things out of order. When we talk about the kingdom of God, when we talk about sex, it comes in the context of the kingdom of God. It comes in the context that honestly, there are great things that people, if you're single, you shouldn't be single alone. Get in a community and be single in a community, but there's an entire generation rising up that wants to do a great cause. And you know what? In their great cause, they're abandoning marriage anyway because they don't understand what it is. Because they're scared of it. But if we can call students and young people to rise up to the great cause of the kingdom of God and say, it is worth the sacrifice of a marriage. It is worth offering to God your sex and desire for sex and a marriage and a desire for children. It is worth it to God to lay it on the altar to say, I am after you. I've died to myself and I'm following you, Jesus, for the sake of your kingdom. That's the vision we should paint for our children if we're going to paint sex in its right context. Exactly what Paul said, picking up on Jesus' words. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The very term Jesus uses. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and goes on to all these different things. And <laughs> regardless of how you feel about that, the context is true. Paul was a man who had nothing to do but to do the things of God. When I was a single guy as a youth pastor, I had nothing to do but run around do youth ministry until 3 a.m. in the morning, staying all night at kids' houses with, with their parents up going like, you guys okay? We're playing video games and I'm smacking them in the head. And we're asking questions. We're getting into life. Out there doing everything I could to disciple kids and be around kids. And my, then I got married and my wife and I, we were doing that together. 
And at first it was great. We're doing this together. And then we had a kid and we're doing that together with the kid and together and that. And then we had another one and then there's two kids and together and that. And then we bought a house and it was two kids and house together and, and that. And then it was two kids together and house and, and all uh, three kids and a bunch of other stuff. And the, guess what happens? We go, we really need to have people over someday when we're, when we're not busy anymore. With all the kids, our marriage, the house, the lawn, the HOA, the, uh, yeah, um, the church, and there's other things. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And what we have done is a disservice to our singles telling them it's all about sex, it's all about sex, it's all about, no, it's about the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. He'll add all the rest to you. If he desires for you to be married, you'll find that person while you're on the mission. You will get married and you will have that sex while you're on the mission and it will be in the right place. It will not destroy your mission. It will not become the center of your life. It will become a blessing added on. This is what we teach our kids. And guys, this is what our challenge is, that we would be a people this summer who continue or begin this conversation with our children, that we would be the ones who are first in. And if you're like, my kids are older, I can't be first in, then get in now. Start now. It doesn't matter what their age is. Get those resources, get experience, get the expert. Be the expert for your children that God has made you to be because sex is given to the parents to teach your children constantly and in context. And that's what we're out to do. Because if we don't, there's a long line waiting to do it. So are we in? I pray we are. Be a resource. Let's pray together. Father, I just lift up this church to you. I lift up the youth in the room. I lift up the parents in the room, grandparents in the room, future parents in the room, single men and women, widows, Widowers, I just ask your blessing upon them all as they are considering how they are either going to be a resource to parents or they're going to be a resource to young ones. But God, you're going to have this chance to help us be the first ones. And God, allow our plan, allow our thinking in guiding our children in this subject be something that is holy and right and aimed at your kingdom and your name. We pray your blessing as we start these conversations or continue them this summer. Would you lead us, we pray, and give us plans. Help us to talk to each other and challenge each other and encourage each other forward that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.